light is even the standard of measurement for speed in the universe. The speed of light shows the relationship in, this, in the theory of relativity between time and space. Light is a very important thing in the physical world. But in the Bible, we see God is light. In Him, there is no darkness at all. We see Jesus Christ is light. I am the light of the world. We see that the Gospel is light. Christmas Eve, the people that dwelled in darkness have seen a great light, and upon them hath the light shined. Christ came bringing the Gospel message of light to the people in darkness. But not only that, and maybe more importantly to us this morning, you are light as a Christian. Now think with me for a moment, what does light do? What does light do? Well, obviously light dispels darkness. We turn on the lights and the darkness flees away. Wouldn't that be something if it were the reverse of that? But God has made it where light reveals colors. Light shows detail. Light provides warmth and ambience. You put a candle in your window at Christmas time. A light takes energy, but it also produces energy. So a Christian has to have the intake of the Word and the output of prayer if he's going to really have any spiritual energy. What else does light do? Light retards disease, as in an autoclave in a medical facility using ultraviolet light to cleanse the instruments. Light stops crime and wrongdoing in any place. And you can think of New York City and other places where the lights went out and what happened then during the darkness. So we see it goes on and on with what light does in our lives. Light is very important. And it's important that we are the light of the world, that we are going to be a testimony to those who are observing our lives. Now Jesus said, Neither do men light a candle and put it on a candlestick, put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light to all that are in the house. Now, did they have candles in Jesus' day? No candles. It would be too warm in that Palestinian climate. They did have a little oil lamp. And I'm not going to try to light this up this morning because it's kind of smoky, but there's a wick right there, and you put the olive oil in here, and you light that, and you put it on a little stand, and that gives light to all that are in the house. And that's what he's talking about. But in King James, England, they didn't really use oil lamps. They had uh, candles. And so we have the candle. Uh, Now, Cody, a little later, I may need to get you to turn out the light so we can see a little better. But right now, we can see just fine. So if you are a Christian, you should be a witness in the society. You should be a witness in your family. You should be a witness to brothers and sisters You should be a witness in the church. You should be reflecting the light of Christ wherever you go. And that's not only in what you do, that's in what you say, the words that come out of your mouth. So here's a guy who is a a Christian, and we're going to see if we can get him uh, lit up here because we need his testimony like we need your testimony. And sometimes it's hard to get kindled, but there is a, oh no, 
Don't breathe on a new Christian here. Let the Holy Spirit breathe on him. Okay, you can see how fragile that little light is. Now, the enemy of our souls really wants to knock out your testimony. In fact, if you're known as a believer and he can get your testimony turned around the other direction, that's what he would really like to do. And there is a way that he's going to do that. Can everybody see this apple juice jug? You know what's coming here. Here's the jug. And this jug represents the mold of the world. In fact, the world's thinking. Because that's what it's all about. The mold of the world's thinking. If the enemy can get you thinking like the world thinks. Now when I say the world, I'm not talking about the cosmos and the grass and trees and flowers. And I'm not even really talking about the people of the world. I'm talking about that world system that is anti-Christ. It pervades the culture. If you're in a culture that's becoming post-Christian, such as ours, and that thinking is just everywhere. You see it in advertising on the highways. If you have a television, you see it there. You see it in the media that's in your pocket. The world's thinking. And many times we would say, well, I'm, not, I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. But that thinking can kind of grow on you like a cancer. And that's the reason we need a heavy dose of the Word so we don't get just inundated by the things of the world. And pretty soon we start thinking, well, that's what everybody says, and we just think maybe that's the right thing. The jug is the mold of the world's thinking. Now, the enemy, for some people, would just come along like a five-year-old at a birthday party and blow out your light in a one-shot deal. And we've all known people who made a decision on a particular weekend, and that decision changed the course of their lives. I remember hearing of a guy back in Alabama who was a sophomore in medical school. He uh, drank too much one night, having some beers with the guys. He had an accident. Someone was killed. It was a felony charge. That was the end of medical school for him. It changed his life just in a one-night deal. I don't know if he were a strong Christian or what. I'm just saying that the enemy can change your life in a moment of time if that's what he wants to do. But that's not what he's going to do for you. I'm quite sure. He might get one or two in this room that way, but he's not going to get many. Now, let me just um, suggest to you that sometimes Christians have to be warmed up a little bit here. And this guy is uh, not doing too well, but we'll heat him up. And maybe you go to a revival, and maybe you get some... Uh, maybe your mama lights the fire under you. That uh, So there he's a little bit better. Now, here's the plan for you guys. I'm convinced of this. What's this? Mold of the world. Mold of the world's thinking. The world wants you to think just like they do. 
And see, in a lot of things, uh, that wouldn't be a problem. We play tennis the same way the world does. Maybe we don't use the same language if something goes wrong, but you understand what I mean. So here is the, um, here comes the mold of the world. All right, Cody, could you turn out the lights just for a moment? Now, see, this little Christian says, well, yeah, I'm, I'm watching the world's movies and I'm just doing everything that the world does. And, hey, it doesn't affect me at all. I'm still going to church and still witnessing to my friends and I still have my little light shining. But something is going to happen because what does it take for that light to shine? Well, it takes oxygen, exactly right. It takes some fuel, but the fuel's not any good, that melted wax, if there's no oxygen. So when the enemy is able to shut off your connection with the kingdom, uh-oh, what happened? Burned all the oxygen, and it burned out. And that is exactly what the enemy wants to do. And see, it's a gradual thing, and you don't realize that it's happening. In fact, that's a difficult thing to understand that I'm kind of sliding back a little bit instead of going forward. There's something even more difficult than that to understand, but we will take a look and see as we go along. Now, we want to illustrate this another way, what the enemy is trying to do to us. And let's uh, get this out here. Oh no, he's bringing out an Easter egg. That uh, symbol of pagan occultism. Hey, are you kidding me? God invented the egg. Why not let's just reclaim the egg for God? It's His egg. Maybe the pagans stole it for something. Actually, it's a symbol of life and it's a pretty good illustration. Because if this egg is born again, then there's life in that egg. And when the mama hen sits on it, pretty soon, new life. If it's a fertile egg. So when a person, you can have a bunch of people and you may not be able to tell the difference on the outside, but if that person is born again, then it's going to be a very different type of life and style of life than someone who is not born again. Just two categories in life, the fertile and the infertile. These are probably infertile. But we want uh, this to represent something. And it's going to represent your little heart. Your heart. Now everybody knows what the heart is. We're not talking about the pumper. We're talking about the central organ of your soul. It's the true you down inside where you have your feelings, your emotions, things you desire and you don't like and all of those things that really nobody knows about completely except you and God. Now the Bible tells us a lot about the heart. In fact, it's as important as light. Over 800 times the word heart is mentioned in the Bible. Uh, most of the time, not talking about your pumper, but talking about this central organ of your soul. What does it tell us? It tell us, tells us that the words that you speak come out of your heart. It tells us that the things that you do come out of your heart. It tells us that the heart is the seat of attitudes and 
intense. And you know all these scriptures. We won't take time to go over all those scriptures, but we will hit one in Proverbs 4.23 where we're told to guard your heart with all diligence because out of the heart flow all the issues of life. That's how hard, that's how important the heart is and how hard it is to keep the heart because there's so many voices calling to your heart and so many people who want to pull your heart in one direction or the other. Now, if you're a young person here this morning, a special word for you, the enemy has a plan for your heart. And we said a couple Sundays ago, what happens in the first part of your life, the decisions you make, the choices, are going to have a bearing on the second part of your life. And even on whether you even on the fact of whether you feel like you've had a happy life or not. Choices that we make are very important. So in the Bible, a young person's heart is to be directed toward his or her parents. That's the reason in Malachi we're going to turn the hearts of children to their parents, and in Luke we're going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children. Fathers it talks about. Mothers are on board too there. And then in Proverbs it says, My son... Give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. Of course, that includes the girls too. You remember we talked about the fact that he's addressing, God's addressing fathers and sons in the Old Testament primarily because if they get it right, then the ladies and the mamas, everybody's going to be flowing right along there. So guard your heart with all diligence. It's to be directed to your parents. And then when the time comes, your parents are able to give that heart away to someone, perhaps on your wedding day, uh, when that time comes. But the heart can be misdirected in one of two ways for a young person, and usually a combination of both. The first is the peer influence in a person's heart. Because let's face it, we live in a day where many people are just flowing along in the direction of the world because that's the direction that our culture is going in. So today we have something different with peers. It used to be you have to get with your peers and have a little conversation, whatever's going on. But now we have social media and you can just get the peer pressure right there, not even being with anybody. Well, that would be one way that a young person's heart would be misdirected would be that their heart would be turned toward their peers rather than toward their parents. Now, we're kind of boiling things down to the simplistic nature. Obviously, when you grow up, you're going to be more oriented toward peers, and then maybe you get married and you establish a new household. We understand about that. But the other thing for young people would be that a parent has not lived up to that young person's expectations. They won't let me do what I want to do. They're trying to coddle me like a little child. They're trying to protect me too much from an evil world out there. I need to get out there and experience that world. So a lot of times it would be one of those two things. And then there would be some anger, perhaps, And then there might be a little bit of bitterness if this goes on for a period of time. And then there would be a closing of the heart. Do you know what that means? 
That's where you just shut things down emotionally toward your parents, maybe even toward your entire family. A closing of the heart and a hardening of the heart emotionally. Now, my heart wouldn't be hardened toward my friends out there. We have a good time. But when I come home, I just um, don't say anything and I don't have a real good expression on my face. And there's just not much interaction at home because my heart is hardened because these people are not letting me do what I want to do or they're not living up to my expectations. Now, there might be some deficiency. Certainly, we understand that. But God is in control of that. And you can see from Scripture that God is going to use those things just like He used Joseph's brothers in his life for a time of adversity. We'll get to that later. So, if your heart becomes hardened, young people, it will be easily stolen. And it's very difficult for a young person, an older person as well, very difficult for a young person to recognize that my heart has been stolen. It usually would be stolen in some kind of relationship, a wrong relationship. It could be stolen by my favorite hobby or what I like to go out with the guys and do or just anything like that that would misdirect your heart. It might not always be something grossly evil, but it's just something that just kind of pulls you away from the Word and away from prayer because if we can get you disarmed now, then you're going to be easy picking for the enemy. And if that heart is stolen, sooner or later, it's going to be broken. Mark it down. It may take some years, but that heart is going to be broken. Now, the devil has a lot of dirt out there in the world. You know that. If you're not careful, he'll be bringing that dirt right into your home there. So here is um, a bowl full of dirt, and here is a young person, not getting along too well with his parents, and he has friends he'd rather be with, and he likes to do things with them, and pretty soon he's just kind of cut off his relationship with his parents, and his heart has been stolen by perhaps some person. Maybe it's a guy. Maybe it's a girl. I think I'm going to lie down here on the kitchen floor and just die if that guy doesn't call me tonight. (laughs) If I can't kiss this girl, I'm just not going to make it. How will I know which one I want if I don't taste a few and see what it tastes like? See, there are all kinds of reasonings that come with this, but the enemy is just uh, waiting for that opportunity for a broken heart. A broken heart. Now, a broken heart is a very sad thing. Has anybody here ever had a broken heart? Nobody in this group? That's incredible. I thought maybe we'd get somebody to testify. A broken heart is bad news. You don't want a broken heart. And remember, it takes some time. Now, Ezra, can you testify here for the ones on the back row? Is there any way you think we could get this guy's heart out of all that dirt? It'd be pretty difficult, wouldn't it? We'd have to get some tweezers. And I've shared with you the story of when I was in college living with five guys in the upstairs of an old farmhouse. And uh, we were hungry guys, of course. And so 
we didn't have a lot of money. We did buy a meal ticket and uh, two meals a day we would eat over in the cafeteria. But on the third meal, we were on our own. And we would pool our money at the beginning of the month and buy up some groceries. You can imagine what kind. And then at the end of the month, we'd all be out of money. We'd all be out of groceries. And it was a bad thing. I can tell you guys, if you don't have any mamas or sisters or wives, you're going to be in bad shape. So you better be sticking with some of them along the way. So it came down to the end of the month. And this one guy, he's kind of a cocky guy, he went in the refrigerator and he started scraping around in the snow in there, frost, you know, we never defrost the refrigerator, and he found a little chicken pot pie in the little aluminum container, you know what I'm talking about. So he popped that thing in the oven, and man, the aroma just filled the upstairs of that apartment. And the rest of us were starving to death. And so he got that thing out, that crust was a golden, bubbly brown, you know how it is, and so he put it on a plate like this, and he brought it around for each of us to smell. But as he was showing it around, it slipped off the plate, being still in the little aluminum tin, and it fell down on the pine plank floor upside down. But do you know that we had the last laugh? Because that guy got a spoon and got down on the floor and ate that thing right off the floor. It's amazing what guys will do when they're hungry. But you don't want this to happen to you because once your heart is broken, it's easily contaminated. Now, is everybody with me? My heart gets misdirected. It gets hardened. It gets stolen. It gets broken. And then it gets contaminated. And it gets contaminated with the world's thinking. Be very careful. That's the one reason we have church. We want people to be able to recognize what the world is saying because we go to the Scripture. And the Scripture is going to tell us the truth. In fact, Jesus told Pilate, this is the reason I came, to testify to the truth. He's the living Word. And we have the written Word. And we have His Spirit that helps us understand the written Word. Now, we want to shift gears a little bit here. And we want to see if we can't... Um, toughen this guy up a little bit on the inside. We're not talking about a hardened heart, but we've got something else in mind if it's a Christian. Now, the enemy will take non-Christians. He's already got them. But he loves to get Christians because then he can say, hey, look at that. That guy's a Christian. Look at what he's doing. And he loves to do that in, in the world. So let's get this um, little Christian here. And let's uh, put him in some water. And yes, we better light him back up here. Okay, now this is a different type of light, different type of fire. We had the light of your testimony the little candle up on the candlestick, giving light to all that are in the house. But this would be the fire of adversity. Adversity. Oh, no, not on Palm Sunday. Yes, adversity. Now, God uses adversity in our lives. And here is this little Christian now. We're going to put him in the fire of adversity. Have you ever been in the fire of adversity? Anybody? Did you learn anything from that? 
if you responded. See, when you get in the fire of adversity, you'll either get bitter or you'll get better if you're a believer. So we're um, getting warmed up a little bit here. You remember when God in the New Testament told them when Jesus left, He said, you'll be my witnesses in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. But they weren't going anywhere. They were all hanging out in Jerusalem. But in Acts 8.1, guess what happened? Persecution broke out. And suddenly, they were fulfilling the Great Commission, going all over the place because of the persecution. Someone has said a Christian is kind of like a tea bag, not much good unless he's been through a little hot water. So this guy now has got some hot water here. And, voila, now he is toughened up a little bit. He's tougher than he used to be. In fact, we might say now he's got his armor on. Have you ever heard of the armor? Yes. Yes. We've got the helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the belt of truth. We've got our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And in my left hand, my shield of faith with which I can extinguish these flaming arrows that are going to come through the world's thinking. And then I've got the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Scripture. Now, the enemy would love for me to lay down my weapons voluntarily, and he would love to get me so distracted that I just don't have time to pick up my weapons. Now, we know this is where it's at because the Scripture says, don't be conformed to this world, Romans 12, but be what? Transformed by the renewing of your body. Huh? (laughs) By the renewing of your mind. Exactly right. Get a renewed body when Christ returns. And then it says, Paul writing to the Corinthians there, 2 Corinthians, he says, we don't wage war the way the world does. If we did, we would have machine guns and bazookas and atomic bombs and all that sort of thing. But our weapons are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. What in the world is a stronghold? We know what a foothold is because if you get angry and you let the sun go down on your anger, you have given the devil a foothold. And that's a little place in your heart where you have given him jurisdiction to operate. You've given him a little real estate where it said, do not give place to the devil. The word is topos, from which we get our word topography. You've seen a topographical map. It shows the lay of the land. So if Satan can get a place, some ground, down in your heart, he can function there. Now, you can't be demon-possessed if you're a true Christian. You could be demon-harassed, especially if you're going for the world's thinking. So that's what the enemy wants us to do. But Paul says, we are taking captive every thought for the obedience of Christ. We're destroying speculations and these ideas that come along and these, these crazy things that you hear. When Yvonne and I were in uh, Laurel, uh, Mississippi, my hometown, and we were just married, and we started working with young people, and wow, a lot of things were happening God was doing there. And there was young one, one young man who was a, a twin, he and his brother, and this guy had great promise as a preacher. 
That's what he wanted to do. Even in high school, he was a senior in high school, he could preach a good sermon. Some guys just have it in them. But he had this girlfriend, and the girlfriend kept coming to Vaughn, and something was wrong, and it, was just, it just wasn't going well. And finally she admitted they're having this wrong relationship in their lives. So I went to Jim to talk to him about that, and he said, well, you know, when you have this relationship, you're already married in God's eyes. What? What kind of deal is that? Everybody who ever had a relationship is married in God's eyes? That is crazy. That is chaotic for the society. And see, that eliminates, though, all of the possibility of any sin because we're already married in God's eyes. We said, Jim, man, you've got to look in the Scripture. You've got to get rid of this stuff. Well, it was a very difficult situation, to say the least. But that's the kind of thinking that people come up with. And see, it's not just something out there secular. People will take the Bible and they will get all kind of ideas about what it means and what it doesn't mean. And Oh, we were talking in Bible study about the judge not that you be not judged. Very misunderstood verse in the Bible. Whereas the Bible says don't judge by appearances, judge righteous judgment. Don't judge hypocritically. Don't try to take over God's position. He knows who's who. He knows what's in a person's heart. In fact, we learn you judge people by their fruits. You will know them by their fruits. False teachers, whatever. What's coming out of their lives. So there are a lot of um, things that the world would be telling you that are just the opposite of what the Bible tells you. Now, what is this? Mold of the world. The world's thinking. And so, we've got our little Christian here. And he is uh, pretty tough now because he's got his armor on. So, sometimes we, when we're uh, thinking that we have gotten everything in place as it ought to be, that we can get up as close as we can to the world, and that's no problem. Well, that maybe that... Uh, it's something to be said for that. If you're Christ, you can certainly go and associate with the sinners and do all that and be unaffected by it. But I've known some uh, men, particularly one guy, Jim Harrington, the chaplain of Bourbon Street. And for years, he was down there in New Orleans and the, he was leading people to Christ and all of this. But finally, the world's thinking rubbed off on him and then there was the, the fall that, that comes. And the enemy is a very patient adversary. And he will wait, and he will wait. He'll wait for years. And he'll wait until things build up so the crash will be greater when it comes down. And it won't affect just you. It'll affect your wife and your children and your church. It'll affect everything. So that's just the way the enemy is. Now, it doesn't look like we would have any problem here except for one thing. What is the enemy always looking for? I got my armor on. Yep, he's looking for a chink in my armor. Uh-oh, I heard something there. How will the enemy find a chink in your armor? Now keep in mind that he's only been studying one 
book for the last 4,000 years, and that is the book of the human heart. So you help me with this. What would be some ways that the enemy would peel off your armor? Peer pressure. Oh, that would be a big one. Peer pressure. We're not going to do anything evil, but we need to be out at the lake this Sunday instead of in church because we're just going to have a day of fun. Okay, that's good peer pressure. Not that all peer pressure is bad. We hope to be the good peer pressure. What else? Doubt. Doubt. Yeah, we talked about doubt. And that's a big one because that's the one that Satan used against Eve in the Garden of Eden, you remember. Hath God really said, you remember. And of course, she began to doubt and then pretty soon, okay, that's good. What else? Fear. Fear? You said fear? That is a huge one. Fear. Fear that people are going to laugh at me. Fear that I'm not going to be accepted. Fear that I'll never get married if I don't go the way of the culture or if I don't get out there and advertise or whatever it may be. Fear. A big one. Now, we got a little problem here. This guy is half unclad. But the thing about it is, a Christian who's losing his armor never really knows that it's coming off. And he's always thinking, well, I'm better than no guy. those guys. They go out howling at the moon on Saturday nights and get drunk, and I don't do anything like that. But you can see it for yourself. It's half gone. What else? Worry. Anxiety. Don't be anxious about anything God tells us. But in everything, by what? Prayer. There would be one thing when God, when uh, the devil cuts off your prayer life and you're just, you just don't have any communication with the kingdom. Have you ever noticed how sometimes busy things come up in life and all of a sudden you've been for two weeks and no Bible time? Not really much prayer time except God's grace, God's good, let's thank Him for the food. Might be good if somebody in the family just embroidered that on the little thing, hung it on the wall, zip, Lord. Amen. <laughs> Go ahead with it. So we're busy Americans and we have a lot of things going on, but if the enemy can take away the Scripture and he can take away prayer and probably fellowship with other believers, and we say discipleship because that's the name of the game, Go in all the world and make disciples. That's not just, hey, here we have track. But making dis- disciples is a whole lot more than that. Okay, anything else? Idolatry. Idolatry. Oh, yes. Idols of the heart. Idols of the heart. An idol of, an idol of the heart might start off being a pretty good thing, but then it grows into something because we learn that the heart is an idol factory. It's just manufacturing idols. Okay, we got this guy completely unclad now. And if you haven't seen anything else, you want to see this because we've got a new kind of fire coming. We had the fire of your testimony, the light of your testimony. And then we had the fire of adversity 
that we all face in life. But now we've got the big one, young people, the fire of desire. Have you read The Fire of Desire? A case of the got-to-haves. Oh, I've just got to have it. If I don't have it, I'm going to die. Well, be careful. Because the fire of desire is the one that will make you do crazy things. And sometimes he can get a person on that one-night stand deal with the fire of desire. So be very careful. Now, you can't ever tell what's going to happen with this, so I better... (laughs) We have smoke detectors in here. (laughs) Okay, it's the fire of desire. The fire is lit there. And here is a young person who, over time... Now, this doesn't usually just come in Tuesday afternoon. But over time, there's some thinking that has pulled him away from parents, maybe pulled him away from the church, maybe pulled him away from the friends who are really the ones that are following the Scripture. You know, they're too judgmental, they're too legalistic, they're too restrictive, and a number of other things, but be very careful. Okay, let's see now what is going to happen. We're going to light up the fire of desire and get it going pretty good. And, ow, ooh, hey, did you see what he was doing just before he went in the jug there? He was dancing. (laughs) Let's all get together and let the good times roll. Yeah, that was him. And now, he is in a place, how would a Christian wind up in a place like that where you can't even see who's sitting on the stool next to you. Do you believe Christians go to places like that? I will assure you that they do. Why are they going there? Oh, they're going there to witness. Well, how about the witness? Do you got any witness down there? <laughs> Ooh, man, that's a bad place to be. Because once you get caught up in the thinking of the world, it's usually not very long in years before you get caught up in the trappings of the world. And when you get in the trappings of the world, sometimes it's hard to shake them off. Now, we don't want to wrap up First Light this morning with this guy still trapped in the mold of the world. He's in there, but I will assure you, he's not coming out. He's not even close. We can get some of the garbage out of his life. That's always good to clean up your life a little bit. But, he's not even thinking about coming out. Oh, he might be thinking about it, but I can tell you it's not going to happen. Now, he's going to have to have some help. (laughs) Probably from his parents, maybe the church, some good Christian people that can get him back on track. (laughs) I got an idea. Let's baptize him. Okay, ready for this? Nothing. Well, we believe in immersion baptism around here. (laughs) So, let's see what we can do for him. Get him totally immersed, all the way under. All right. Oh, he's looking better already. Yes, very good.
Oh. Well, he got a little more garbage out of his life, went down to church, got connected with those people. But look, he's still stuck. It is very difficult once you have moved in the direction of fulfilling a desire and it becomes a habit and it becomes a thought pattern and it becomes a stronghold. Do you remember the stronghold? The stronghold is a mindset or a way of thinking that is opposed to Scripture. We were talking about them in Bible study. The devil says, you're in a bad mess. No good could come out of this mess. God says, all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. He's going to always be telling you something that is different from Scripture, so be careful. That's what a stronghold is. And once you get a stronghold in your heart, I tell you, a stronghold can lead you to an addiction. Do you ever know anybody that's, that's been addicted? That's a tough thing. You don't just step out of the jug whenever you want to. So uh, what are we going to do? Let's baptize him again. Because some people get baptized two or three times, and any time something goes wrong, they go back down to the church and get baptized again. And that's okay. We want people to be thoroughly baptized. So, let's see what we've got here. Wow. He's still there. And I'm telling you, honestly, I'm wondering if he's going to come out at all. Because this is one fat cat down in there. <laughs> uh, I told Yvonne to get large eggs and... Uh, <clears throat> well, there is a scripture in the New Testament in Second Timothy 3.16, and it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction, and righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, that word, inspired by God, theos, neustos, means something. You probably know what it means. Because you're familiar with the disease of pneumonia, a respiratory disease, theosneustos, P-N-E-U-S-T-O-S. What do you think that means? Theos is God. Neustos, God breathed. God breathed out this Holy Scripture into these writers of the Bible so that they were able to use their own vocabulary, their own experience, their own paradigm in life, shepherds and kings and all kinds of people writing the Scripture. And yet, it's the inspired Word of God. Because God breathed it out on them. It wasn't just mechanical dictation where they went into a trance and started writing stuff down. He just inspired them to do it. So uh, sometimes in a situation like this, we need to um, get the Holy Spirit to breathe on this guy. Oh, we better be praying for him too. He's not looking, not looking too promising. But we'll see what happens. Okay, are you ready for this? I'm going to play the part of the Holy Spirit. So here we go. Ooh. Whoa! Man! Well, there he is. 
Now, I'll tell you, when, he, when people come out of the jug, they are very excited. <laughs> Thank you. They are very excited to be free from that bondage of whatever it was. It can be just something in my own mind that people don't know about what's going on in my heart. It can be um, a pattern of wrong thoughts in my mind, a pattern of lust, whatever. Or it could be something like this guy got into where he just really got in some trouble with the wrong people, going to the wrong places, and it uh, created some problems in his life. Now, he is, uh, he is out, but uh, what does he look like, young people? Well, he's had a rough time. He's a little bit discolored. He's got a little bit of trash still clinging to him there. Now, God will forgive you of the guilt of your sin and take away the guilt as far as the east is from the west. But there may be some consequences. The ultimate consequence of hell is removed, praise the Lord. But there may be a consequence if you're an alcoholic for X number of years, your liver may be feeling it down inside there. And you can come to Christ, but that doesn't automatically mean that He's going to give you a new liver. He'll see you through with the bad liver. But I'm asking you, young people, because you've probably never had some of the problems that this guy has had, a few pieces knocked off here and there. Had you rather your life look like that or like that? Particularly when you come down to the wedding day. That's an important time in many people's lives. And when you come down to that time, I can assure you, if your life looks like that, and you haven't been in all of those strongholds that the world wants to offer to you, you are going to be a happy person. You see, the choices that you make are going to, in some part, affect your perception of your happiness. And if you have made the sacrifice of right choices, ooh, you will be happy about that. And instead of getting over here to see, see a lot of Christians say, well, how far can we go and still be Christians? And what that means is, how close can you get to the mold of the world without getting sucked in? That's not the name of the game in Scripture. The name of the game in the Bible is, how far can you get like Christ over here? And the brighter that you shine as a witness, the more the world is going to be able to see that. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says the world doesn't want something that looks like them. They want something that looks a lot better than what their life looks like. So there it is. Now here's a question before we go. Before we get to mop out here. The question is, if you have um, messed up on some things, maybe nobody knows about it, but you know about it. God knows about it. Oh, Man, he's kind of a slippery customer. <laughs> is it possible? Hmm. Well, you see a little bit how that's going to look. Is it possible to get your armor glued back on? And the answer is yes. The Holy Spirit has some marvelous epoxy cement, but it's going to take a real change in your life and it's going to take some help. And he wants you to get back on track. <clears throat> and certainly, <clears throat> excuse me, certainly we've all made mistakes and we've all had uh, wrong thinking and gone in the wrong direction. But if you can get someone to help you, yes. 
you can get your armor back on. So I would encourage you, young person, if you're not in some kind of serious discipleship, find something. There, there are all kinds of possibilities in this area because this is, we're in the Bible Belt. If you're not serious about a personal Bible study program, get yourself up one because you have no idea what adversity is coming down the line of the future. If you don't have a real good strategy for prayer where you're writing things down and noting the answers God gives and maybe on your iPhone, whatever it is, you better get that because we may be coming into some difficult days in our culture. I don't want to be pessimistic, but if you look back in history, you'll see that there were difficult times, for instance, in 17th century England, and guess what God did? He sent a great revival. John Wesley and George Whitfield and Charles Wesley and a number of men who were committed to teaching the Bible. You know what they did for England? That saved them from the horrors of something like the French Revolution because they didn't have that in France. So I would encourage you, it's time to get serious about prayer. It's time to pray for our nation. It's time to pray for brothers and sisters. It's time to pray for your family. And it's time to get serious about getting as close to the Lord as you can and having that testimony that He would want you to have. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time this morning to consider our witness in the light of our witness and how we need to govern our hearts. Lord, it's an old lesson, but it's something that seems to be fresh every day in our culture because the culture and the people of the culture are calling to us and they have a lot of fun to offer. We pray that we would be discerning pray we would be wise. We pray, Lord, that You would strengthen us against the enemy's attack. We ask that we might have on the full armor of God, that we would be able to stand in the evil day. And Lord, I pray for each one of these young people in this room this morning, that they might, with their parents, develop a strategy if they don't have one. And for those who do, I pray they would be encouraged. I pray for young parents with young families that they might be strengthened to develop a plan, to develop a strategy against the enemy. Thank you for all the helps that we have. Thank you for this church. Thank you for the light of the testimony of many people, including parents and grandparents who have gone on before. Guide us now in a time of fellowship and then in our worship service and covered dish luncheon. We thank you for the opportunities that you give us. And we pray these things in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen.